With Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith's historic win for Mississippi Senate seat, we're celebrating a pro-life majority in the Senate. Coming up, we'll delve into what this means for the 116th Congress, success, hurdles to overcome, and what Concerned Women for America is doing to fight for life. From the nation's capital, this is Use Your Voice with Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Welcome to Use Your Voice. I'm your host, Penny Nance, and this month I'm joined by Concerned Women for America's Senior Director of Government Relations, Doreen Denny. Doreen is our chief lobbyist on Capitol Hill. She is your voice in talking to House and Senate members and before the administration. In fact, as we're remembering former President George H.W. Bush, it's great to have Doreen with us today because she's a former employee of the president's. So here we are today at Concerned Women for America, just over a month past the election. And there's so many things we could talk about today, but we're taking stock of what the election results mean for the pro-life movement, opportunities to hold the line on our key issue, hurdles to overcome, because now, of course, we know that Nancy Pelosi has the gavel in the House of Representatives, and what CWA has done is and is doing to ensure that innocent lives inside the womb are fought for and protected, that we're protecting life from conception to natural death. Doreen, welcome to Use Your Voice. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Penny. Thank you very much. So tell us a little bit as we remember the former president, the late President H.W. Bush, to give us a little insight into what it was like to work for him and the lessons that you learned. Well, I had the privilege of working for him in the White House. I was part of his domestic policy staff. I was actually focused on education policy. He was the education president, declared himself to be, and we did many things through that administration, working with the states, with the governors, with the localities, to try to get Washington further away from education and energize education reform. You know, he was a man who always stood on principle. You never doubted that he uh, was sincere in what he believed. You never doubted that the decisions that he he was going to make would be uh, fulfilled and carried out with integrity. And I took so many things away from that experience as a young person, just watching and observing him, and also working and responding to his priorities. So it is um, a great opportunity that we have in the nation's capital to be honoring and remembering this man who served our country in so many important ways and certainly lived a full and loving life. That's so true. I I love so much of his history. I mean, not the very least of which is being a hero, a war veteran, one of the youngest Navy pilots that flew during World War II. I mean, he deferred going to his Ivy League education in order to serve our nation, and I think that's indicative of him. Let's talk a little bit about President Bush's position on life. Well, you know, it's interesting to look at the uh, results of this year's election because, you know, uh, President George H.W. Bush faced a similar situation going into a midterm election when one of the houses uh, was lost to the Democrats. And he chose at that time to make a very clear and strong signal to the Congress that if there was any attempt to compromise the federal funding uh, against abortion, the Hyde Amendment, the things that have been held up and protected for the years on the gains that we'd made in protecting life, he would veto any bill that would do such a thing. And it's interesting that now we're looking at that as a precedent and as a model for what we should be asking President Trump to do. We're in a situation now where we have lost uh, a pro-life strength in the House with a Speaker Pelosi likely to be taking the speakership. Uh, We're at a a 235 to 200 split um, in the House. Now, on the Senate side, we actually had gains, and we're kind of in a situation
situation where for the first time in a long time we have what we would consider a pro-life majority. Uh, we're at 53 Republicans, 47 Democrats. Now in the Senate that doesn't necessarily mean you can pass pro-life measures. They still have a, a cloture vote to cut off the filibuster and that requires 60 votes. So it's still a higher hurdle, mm -hmm. but it is heartening to know that if we were to, to be in a situation of having cloture and getting beyond that point, that we have enough members in the Senate to pass pro-life policies. Well, let's take a little minute then and, and discuss, you mentioned something that we're working on right now. Now that's very important for Concerned Women for America, important to the pro-life movement. And that is urging President Trump to do, to follow the leadership of George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush in the past in transmitting very clearly a message to this new Speaker of the House, a Democrat, that if any any appropriations bills come to him without the pro-life protections that we've all fought for over the years and hard-won hard won victories, that he will veto those bills. Tell me a little bit about what's going on there. That's right. And we've, uh, there, we're working now on having enough members in the House show their strength and support for that veto, what we call a blanket veto threat. You know, a president's veto is sustained by the Congress with just one-third of members. It, it requires a two-thirds majority of uh, a chamber to overturn or override a veto, which means that we need 146 members of the House to sign on to that letter and show that if the president were to issue such a veto, that they would be behind him fully 100% in support and, and vote against any attempt to override the veto. We would like to see that also happen in the Senate. I mean, we have a little more confidence in the Senate with the leaders there, but it's important that the president knows that the, the members of Congress who are pro-life are gonna back him up on any kind of a veto if we were in a situation, which we very well could be yes. of ending up with that bad policy. For instance, uh, we've talked a little bit about what those are. The Hyde Amendment, which most people remember, uh, well, many maybe we're, we're, we're getting older, maybe not everyone remembers the late Henry Hyde, who was a pro-life congressman who got passed into law in the 70s, a piece of legislation that said that no money coming out of the labor HHS appropriations, very important HHS, no money through that pot of money can be used to pay for abortion. And we have similar riders in other appropriations because money is uh, broken up by appropriations bills and in a different, there's different pots of money. And so we've been very successful over the years because the public is with us on this. The vast majority of people, whether they're pro-life or not, don't think that their money should go to pay for the ending of a human life. And so we have worked very hard. Now, I understand and I, I you know, I, I have some insight and reason to believe that the left this time around is going to try to take on the Hyde Amendment. So it's very important that we get ahead of that and strategically get all the signatures that we need on the letter going and, and supporting the president and then get the president to follow through and follow the leadership of presidents before him and transmitting that message to Speaker Pelosi. That is, it's very important. And, you know, we have 18 pro-life riders throughout the appropriations bills that we need to protect. Give us a, some other examples. Well, 
you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> but we have, for example, one we call the Mexico City policy, which actually prevents and, and was strengthened by tr President Trump, which no international programs that we're a part of through our U.S. agencies for international development, the State Department, any other kind of international policies could in any way be used to support uh, abortion. And that one, that one is, is, is critical because we have a lot of programs that are being supported in other countries. So by the same token, we don't want to do it domestically. We don't want to do it internationally. We have other things that specifically prevent abortion in like D.C., the District of Columbia, uh, federal government, um, the Congress actually oversees their budget. And so we actually can have, have a few more levers with them in terms of having strong policies um, that would prevent any kind of support going toward abortion. Now, in the past, we've had bipartisan support for these, right? I mean, this isn't just a Republican effort. We've had both Democrats and Republicans. I believe that the numbers have diminished among pro-life Democrats, but that's that's not completely the, gone away, right? That's very true. Uh, Dan Lipinski from Ohio has been God a champion for yeah. life for many, many years. Colin I mean, Peterson. From and Colin Peterson in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. we, we really, we, we applaud both of them. Uh, you know, we do have uh, senators like Senator Bob Casey, who at one time was a was a champion in this space, and, and he's hasn't been reliable recently no, and we would really changed. we would really hope that that he would uh, turn himself around on that and realize how important it is you know the activists on the other side are very eager to put their money behind elections and I, I find more and more that many members are beholden to those interests unfortunately whether it's Planned Parenthood Emily's List uh, NARAL um, we have many new women who have been elected in the minority, I mean, in the majority in the House now on the Democratic side. So I agree with you that the Hyde Amendment is under attack, will be under attack, and we have to do everything possible to keep that on the books. Yeah, I mean, if that is not supported, what will happen? If we don't continue to have the Hyde Amendment, give me... Give me, what does the world look like without Hyde? Well, what happens is that for programs that go into any kind of family planning or health care activities, other kinds of things, even immigration on our borders and so forth, a woman could, could freely be given an abortion using federal dollars, federal taxpayer money through our government. So Medicaid then from now on would pay for abortion right. for any reason, any number, any level, you know, depending, maybe even late-term abortion, but all of that would be paid for by our money. Yes, and some states, you know, have put additional restrictions on their use of funds. But if somebody said, well, I could use the federal government money now, right. I could use federal programs, the Hyde Amendment does have exceptions for uh, rape and incest and the life of the mother is, is, is at risk. And so, you know, there have been cases and there are cases when our money might go to support or allow for supporting that kind of a thing. But generally speaking, you know, elective abortions, which we know is the mm -hmm. vast majority right. of abortions, are not able to be funded in any manner through the federal government. That's right. Well, and we know that, you know, those cases, there's a very small number of uh, women who seek abortion based on those smaller, those, based on those restrictions. So um, we also know that when the government funds something, it, increase, it increases. And we have seen, in fact, I just read an article that, you know, again, we're, we're, our numbers in this country of abortion are decreasing because we're cutting off 
funding because we're going after you know those funding streams on like Planned Parenthood and others. We're not successful yet, but we're working. And the states are passing very important restrictions, and you know people are finding other alternatives once they have a chance to think about it, and it really sinks in what's at stake. And we're offering. I, I like to think that we're all doing a better job as the pro-life movement is offering better alternatives. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Senate. I want to talk about a few of those uh, conservative pro-life women that won. Um, So come back and uh, we'll be right back with Use Your Voice. Hey ladies, you're smart, passionate, and savvy. You care about your family and you care about our nation. That's why you should join Concerned Women for America. I'm Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America, and I pray you will visit ConcernedWomen.org to learn how you can add your voice to the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. That's ConcernedWomen.org. Welcome back to Use Your Voice. I'm joined here by Doreen Denny, Concerned Women for America's Senior Director of Legislative Affairs, and she is sharing with us what's going on in life after Pelosi having the gavel on Capitol Hill, what it means for the pro-life movement. We're talking about the House and the Senate. And I'm Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America. Before the break, we were talking about the House. We were talking about all the pro-life writers. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what the election meant for the Senate. You know, I I was on, what was I on? I was on on Martha McCallum's show a few weeks ago, and someone who was a member of the press was talking about the year of the woman, right? We've heard a lot about the year of the woman. And what I reminded people about is not just liberal women, and by the way, a lot of liberal women won in the House, but in the Senate is a different story, isn't it? Conservative women won, and not only that, women stood in solidarity with their conservative values and defeated two women. In Missouri, you had Claire McCaskill, who lost to Josh Hawley, and by the way, Concerned Women for America served as volunteers you know, just on their own time. And I actually went down on my personal capacity and did an event for him. And of course, our Women for Kavanaugh bus tour was in Missouri. We saw the same thing happen in North Dakota. Heidi Heidkamp lost to Kevin Kramer, both another like conservative stalwart. And uh, and again, the same thing happened. Concerned Women for America members were very active in that race on their own time. Our Women for Kavanaugh bus went through the state of North Dakota. And, um, and we saw, you know, especially in those states where you had Democrats who opposed Brett Kavanaugh, who fell under the the power of their leadership and chose instead of actually supporting a good man bowed to politics that they paid the price for it and you know we also that you know brings to memory Rick Scott one in Florida we were there on our bus tour there and then I was with Cindy Hyde Smith who was uh, the victor in Mississippi she had a, a jungle primary they call it she had a five-way race and then no one got over 50 percent so she had to run again there was another election day just a few weeks ago and she finally prevailed at the end of the day. It was a very ugly race, but I know her and love her and she is just a great Christian woman, a sincere believer, a woman who just has a heart full of love and she was so mischaracterized in that race. But I'm very excited about her win. She was appointed to that seat before her election and stood very strong 
uh, with us in behalf of uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And, you know, you many people saw Susan Collins' address in the Senate. You saw two women flanking her in that. One was Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia. The other was Cindy Hyde-Smith. A lot of people didn't know because she was new, but she was very tough, very strong, very courageous. And so we're really excited about that. And then finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Marsha Blackburn. Marsha is hated by the left because she ran the select committee that investigated Planned Parenthood in the House and ended up having nine referrals, nine criminal referrals against them. That's a different story on what's happening with that. Maybe that's a whole other um, uh, program about what's happening over at DOJ, but we are urging under new leadership that they actually pursue those and get to the bottom of the criminal behavior in which Planned Parenthood was selling baby hearts, tongues, lungs, and brains for research and profiting. And they've so far gotten away with it, but we're not we're not done yet. <laughs> well, and Penny, you bring up uh, two very important points. We do have three branches of government, and um, these issues about pro-life aren't just in the Congress. It's not just about the Congress, but it's everything that's happening with the courts and in getting conservative judges confirmed, and also in the administration and what they're able to do with the leverage and the authority that they have through programs, through investigations, and other means. So just to mentioned that the the Kavanaugh nomination, I mean, him, he and Gorsuch, uh, Neil Gorsuch on the court now, make a big difference and will make a big difference to conservative values, as will all of the other circuit court judges and on down the line that are being confirmed. We've had a record number of confirmations for the federal courts in the first two years of the of the Trump administration. And it is very important that that extra two people in the Senate to have 53 right. Republicans to 47. And just a reminder a for our listeners, I mean, it's been a while since civics that remember confirmations go through the Senate. The House right. does not vote on those. And it also only requires 51 votes. Not right. the 60. They can't. They don't have the threshold for cloture. That was a rule that was changed during the time that Harry Reid, a Democrat, was the majority leader of the United States Senate. And, and it's made a huge difference. So at 53, people like Lisa Murkowski don't matter. If we lose somebody on the Republican side, matter. if it is someone's loss, then someone else can step in. I and, hope and her, take that her vote. voters will remember how she <laughs> voted on Brett Kavanaugh. But uh, but she can't hold the Senate hostage yes. to her whims at that, this point. That's right. And you mentioned another important point, which is another area that CWA is engaged in right now on fetal tissue research. The administration has done some very important things with trying to advance pro-life policies through regulation. Yeah, I, let's talk about that a little bit. So both in the title 10 family planning program having a, a, a bright line drawn uh, between any kind of organization that might support or promote abortions on one on the one hand and then have operations on the other. The regulations and the rules are close to final on that. We've had lots of people comment across the country, and thank you very much if any listeners were a part of that effort, because it's made a huge difference for the Department of Health and Human Services to be able to stand firm in the policies uh, to uphold uh, the rules that they want to in institute in these programs. Another area that was just finalized was the conscience protections rules around contraceptive. Um, many people might remember the case of the Little Sisters of the Poor. And so those rules... So just have... a reminder, <laughs> Little Sisters of the Poor, I love talking about them. <laughs> They're a group of nuns in about 30 cities. They take a vow of celibacy and poverty. And then when the Obama administration said that we don't care who you are, 
you have to pay for abortion-inducing drugs. They said, no, we don't. (laughs) No, we really don't. We're not going to do that. And then proceeded to sue Kathleen Sebelius. And so I just, you know, you got to think, it's a really bad day when you're Catholic Kathleen Sebelius over at HHS, the secretary of HHS, and you get sued by nuns. Like, it's not cool. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway. And they want. And remember, Concerned Women for America stood... um, linking arms with Little Sisters of the Poor. We were uh, supporting them in our amicus briefs and even literally outside the Supreme Court, uh, rallying in support of them when their oral arguments were heard and when their decision came down. They did win, and Mm -hmm. hopefully now this will be resolved with the new regulations that the administration has finalized. Um, So those are two very important areas. The third third area right now that really is getting a lot of attention is the area of fetal tissue research. And you touched on it when you talked about the Select Committee on Investigations um, with Planned Parenthood Mm -hmm. and Advanced Biosciences Research. And we're still needing to put pressure on the administration to bring forth the reality that the National Institutes of Health is still spending, you know, millions of dollars on research that use the body parts of aborted fetuses. Many of these that they're after are, are between 17 and 24 weeks of gestation. And it's just unconscionable. And the, the good news is that there are advances now in science that are looking at different ways to accomplish the same means without having to use fetal tissue. And so we um, are active in, in calling on the administration. They have been trying to listen to all the concerns. They're looking and reviewing all of their policies in this area, but it's really not easy to get the scientific community, the research community, and to get these contracts turned around or canceled altogether. And so we're going to continue to have to do that. We're going to need to do that. And I'm hoping that Senator Marsha Blackburn becomes one of those voices that's very strong and firm in the Senate. I think she'll have even a greater day to shine on these issues in her new position. So on both of these issues, on getting across the finish line the new regulations that say to Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers, you cannot use Title X money if you are in an abortion clinic or if you refer for abortion. That's the new HHS regs that we've waited and are waiting for, and we hope they come across soon, come across the finish line soon. And then the also the issue of fetal tissue research. What can our listeners do to help? Yes. Well, you can always send a message to the Trump administration for the president to thank him for the ways that he has been a champion for life. They always love to hear that first, but then to ask them specifically to continue to march forward, both with the Title X regulations to finalize the, those, to end funding, to put a more or complete stop on fetal tissue research. And the third thing is to sign a letter that sends a veto message to the Congress loud and clear that he will, in fact, veto any legislation that would compromise the gains that we've made through the riders that are in the appropriations bills already to date. And if you want to call the president, you call him at 202-456-1111. That's 202-456-1111. Well, and you can also, you know, some people are more comfortable with email. I mean, you can send an email. We've got so many options today. That's you can true. tweet at him even, right? Yes. <laughs> and we know he reads it. So, um, you know, I think you mentioned three specific things right there. That is the veto message to Nancy Pelosi. We're talking about disentangling the U.S. government dollars, NIH efforts with fetal tissue research, 
so inhumane. We're talking, you said fetuses 17 to 22 weeks, is that what you said? Of gestation. Of gestation is what they're looking for. And we know because of the Planned Parenthood investigation what they were looking for. And it was, and I said it before, and I said it to the president, as a matter of fact, baby hearts, brains, tongues, and lungs. I mean, just it just seems like something out of a horror film that they were going in, pre, I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, pre-certifying these babies before their mother had the abortion so they could have it all ready so then they could sell what they took from the baby and cut them up further and harvest their organs. And it's disgusting and sad, and we absolutely need to stay out of that business. So we are really thankful that members of Congress have stood up just recently, in fact, in this week, knowing that some of these contracts are up for renewal or or expiring for the next round. Uh, 74 members of the House recently just sent a very strong letter to the president on this particular subject, too. They might have sent it to HHS, Secretary Azar, He is the one that's in charge overall, but we know that President Trump is the one who's leading the administration and and wants to hear from uh, concerned people on these issues. So we do ask that you do send a message to them loudly and clearly, and hopefully we can get this cleared up. Right. And you mentioned Secretary Azar. We're going to urge them to finish up on the Planned Parenthood regs, so uh, dealing with Title X funding. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Doreen. It was a pleasure having you on. You see, I am so grateful for the amazing team we have at Concerned Women for America. We have had a lot of success in this past year, but we need your prayers, we need your funding, um, and we need your support, and we need you to get active. So we gave you some things to do today, but God bless you. We are grateful to be your voice on Capitol Hill and the media and the state capitals around the country. See you next time, and remember to use your voice. Thanks for listening. Use Your Voice is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.